Welcome to In Conversation, a series of captivating and insightful dialogues with leading writers, artists, and spiritual teachers. In Conversation is a production of Banyan Books and Sound. An oasis in Vancouver since 1970, Banyan is a gathering place of the world's wisdom and healing traditions. Come by for a visit or find us at banyan.com for live events, books, and more. This is Farah Nasrali, and today I'm in conversation with award-winning journalist and author of several books, Lynn McTaggart. Her books, The Field, The Intention Experiment, and The Power of Eight are groundbreaking in the field of consciousness and intention. And I'm so thrilled and delighted to speak to you today about your newest book, The Power of Eight, which is about group intention and healing. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you. It's great to be with you. So I know there'll be plenty for us to talk about, but I'd like to begin by hearing about the story behind this new book. What inspired this experiment that you conducted? Well, what inspired me was probably skepticism. I mean, back in the early 2000s, I had heard a lot about the law of attraction. And of course, they were starting to make the movie The Secret. And I had finished my book, The Field, which had a lot of information in there about thoughts being things with the capacity to change physical matter. So being an investigative reporter by background, I was just curious about this and said, wait a minute, are we talking about, you know, shifting a quantum particle or are we talking about curing cancer with our thoughts? How far can we take this? So by that time, the field was in about 30 languages and um, I knew a lot of frontier scientists. So I figured, you know, I have those two big things. If I put them together, I could create the biggest global laboratory in the world and really test this out. And that's what I did. I wrote a book called The Intention Experiment, um, which was published in 2007, which was also an invitation for my readers to come on periodic intention experiments with me to see whether or not, you know, how powerful we were. And I worked with a number of um, frontier scientists in, you know, prestigious universities, University of Arizona, University of California, Penn State, many places like that. Um, And they would set up very well-controlled laboratory experiments. And every so often I would ask my readers or an actual audience if I were speaking somewhere and had a large audience um, to send an intention to this well-controlled target. And I was pretty skeptical that this was going to work. But, I mean, it really worked. Um, We've run 30 experiments to date where we've actually measured the responses. And um, of those 30, and that's been everything from trying to make seeds grow faster to trying to purify water and change pH to trying to lower violence in war-torn areas or violent areas to... Um, trying to heal somebody of PTSD. And of those 30 experiments, 26 have shown measurable, positive, mostly significant events and effects. That's remarkable. Yeah. And, I mean, it it surprised me most of all. Um, 
Um, but, um, you know, there's no drug out there that has that kind of consistent track record. But that isn't even the interesting part of the story. That's pretty amazing for what it says about our ability to change matter. But what was more interesting to me was the fact that when it came to things like peace experiments and healing experiments, I surveyed my participants. For instance, our first peace experiment was sending intention to lower violence in Sri Lanka, which was there in the middle of a civil war at the time. And um, we had some really interesting effects. But again, not the interesting part of the story. The interesting part for me was when I surveyed the 15,000 participants, I got back thousands of responses saying, I felt like I was part of a higher network. You know, I was feeling uncontrollably tingling. tingling. I was sobbing um, while the thing went on. Um, I felt like I was in the tractor beam of Star Trek. You know, they were describing incredible energy. They were describing a mystical experience, an altered state. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. These are people who are just sitting in front of their computer screen individually, sending intention together. How can this be? And even weirder, um, I had just asked them, so how have you felt since, et cetera? And I, again, got back thousands of responses saying, you know, I've made up with my estranged parent. Um, I'm getting along better with my coworkers. Um, I, I love my not-so-nice boss. In fact, about half of the people said, I'm, I'm in love with everybody I come in contact with. You know, people were hugging strangers. And I'm thinking once again to myself, what is going on here? You know, how can this be? And it became apparent to me after run, running it again and again was that, you know, there is some sort of mirror effect going on here. Mm-hmm. So it's the mirror effect that was really, that really piqued your curiosity yeah, I mean, that really was the astonishing thing about the big experiments. But then there was more to come. Um, and, you know, it, it would mirror the actual experiment. So, for instance, if we were focusing on peace, it seemed that people's lives became much more peaceful. You know, they were hugging strangers. They were in love with everybody. If it was a healing experiment, people, we had thousands of healings. When we we did an experiment to heal a Gulf War veteran who was suffering from very severe post-traumatic stress disorder, um, it was a fascinating online experiment. Um, We actually, it was a webcast. So we had Todd Voss, the guy who was getting the healing, right there with an EEG cap on his head and we could see the brainwaves changing. There was imagery you know, that was actually showing what was happening, how many alpha waves, et cetera, et cetera. We could see ourselves elongating more of the kind of calming brain waves we were trying to do. And, you know, we had great success with that experiment. It sounded like Todd never went back for treatment. He went off, he traveled, he met the love of his life. He ended up having a child, you know, life became much better for him. Um, but more interestingly, Thousands of people, when surveyed again, reported that they were getting healed. You know, if they had knee problems, you know, a person with knee arthritis who said, you know, it's um, walking normally and somebody else with terrible Crohn's disease where their gut was fine and somebody else with panic attacks that 
you know, they were gone too. And, you know, and on and on and on it went with thousands of these. And that was shocking to me. Once again, some sort of weird mirror effect. But then even stranger was what was to come in little groups I started doing around around the time of the Sri Lanka peace experiment. So I was about a year and a half in to the intention experiments. And I thought to myself, well, I suppose I would have run some workshops. That's what people in this area do. Remember, I'm a real stranger in a strange land. I'm a reporter. And I'm a journalist. And invest, you know, when I started out life busting baby selling rings with hidden tape recorders, you know, um, uh, very different from this kind of getting into this, you know, new age area and this science and spirituality area. So I thought, well, I want to run some workshops. And I couldn't really figure out how do I scale down what I'm doing with the great big intention experiments to a weekend. You know, I can't very well have people manifest a new job over a weekend. So I thought, well, I don't know. I'm sitting there talking with my husband one day and I say, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll just put them in groups of eight or something and have them send intention to somebody in the group with a health challenge. And my husband goes, yeah, I like it. The power of eight. He's a, you know, a really good headline writer. And truly that's how it started. We put people into these groups uh, in our first workshop in Chicago I assumed it was going to be a very mild effect, like feeling like getting a facial, nice feel-good effect. Um, and I'm, I knew how to do intention. I had studied with intention masters. I had looked at the science of what works best at the laboratory, and I had taken these different practices and distilled them into a simple program I call Powering Up that is in the intention experiment and also in the Power of Eight. Um, but I wasn't really sure how to do this in groups. So I'm telling them to all hold hands, get in a circle, do this, do that. I'm kind of making it up as I go along. And I'm assuming, again, that this is going to be a very mild effect, like getting your back rubbed a bit. The next day, I ask people to come back who were the recipients. I have them line up, and I have them talk about what happened to them. And I get answers like this. You know, I have had terrible arthritis, and I feel normal, and I'm walking normally today. Um, I have had migraines all of my life and my head feels clear and calm and wonderful. I have terrible gut problems and my gut feels clear. And, you know, and on and on and on. I have cataracts and my eyes are 80% better. And, you know, I'm just sitting there dumbfounded. This went on for more than an hour. And I'm looking over at my husband thinking, what on earth? And I kind of ignored it for a good long time. I just thought I, I dismissed it as a placebo effect until it began happening over and over and over in every workshop I ran in groups. Now I've run thousands of groups. We had the same kind of miraculous healings over and over and over again, but not just with the receivers, also with the senders. And then I started thinking something different is going on here. Mm-hmm. You know, when I hear you speak about these experiments, I think about some very ancient prayers that are really prayers for the well-being of the world, prayers for peace, prayers for the healing and health and happiness of others. And it seems that what you're validating in your experiments is something that has been a part of ancient and wisdom traditions for many, many centuries. 
Well, I think that's really true um, in the sense of the big experiments. And what we're doing is bringing science to it and showing, yeah, these, these aren't just the stuff of fiction and myth. This is the stuff of scientific fact. Um, and also what we're discovering more and more because, I mean, it took me 10 years to publish about the power of eight. I was very protective of this. I did not understand it. I didn't, I, for many years said, why me? You know, why, I mean, why me? Um, I'm not even, you know, somebody who comes readily into this area. Um, and, you know, what was, uh, somebody must have thought of this before me. And so I really needed to understand it from all kinds of angles. So I looked at brain research. I looked at group research. I looked at esoteric religions and mystical Christianity and tried to go back as far as possible to see who else had done groups where there were rebound effects like this. And I also looked at altruism. And one thing you put your finger on was the whole idea of intending for the well-being of others seems to be a really huge piece in this because what I've looked at with the science of altruism is altruism is like a bulletproof vest. It's, you know, when you look at the studies of altruism, you find that people who do anything for anybody else are healthier, happier, and live longer in every regard. Um, And also, as tested out in our own little Power of Eight groups, um, I ran a master class, and I run them now every year, um, where I, I teach people over six weeks in a teleseminar, and then I put them into groups. And I monitor what goes on with them and give them all kinds of challenges and information. So I check out you know, whether or not um, uh, people are improving in any, way, in any regard, and we look at their health their finances, their career, their relationships, their, and their um, uh, life's purpose. And what I found was, I, the first time I did this, I did it actually as a, my own little Petri dish. I took 250 people and did this with them and put them into groups and looked at them, studied them month after month after month. And of the people who continued to meet regularly, that is 150 people met week after week in their group intending for each other, pretty much 100% of them had major life transformations. And what I'm talking about is everything from healing chronic depression or 15 years worth of chronic fatigue to um, to regaining hearing to uh, getting amazing financial windfalls just when they needed it to starting exciting new careers in their fifties um, to meeting new people, making up with estranged relatives, um, even, you know, even lifelong divisions that were overcome to, you know, doing amazing new startups. But here's the interesting piece. A few people were getting nowhere as the year started, you know, was going on. And I know Andy was one of them. Andy was somebody who was recently divorced and had two young children and needed a new job. She had sold her gift store business, and she was very good in marketing, very good in coaching, just couldn't get anything anywhere, was looking and looking. And she was a young, you know, relatively young woman. So 
we tried everything. You know, we made some suggestions for her and this and that to see if she had some sort of scarcity mentality. And finally, I just got a little fed up and I finally just said, Andy, get off of yourself. Start intending for someone else. And the someone else I had in mind was a young boy who was 15 years old, broke up with his first serious girlfriend. Uh, his stepfather had written in to say that in a fit of adolescence, despair, he threw himself off a 40-foot structure onto hard ground. And I mean, Luke Luke broke every bone in his body, and he had nerve damage and brain damage and all kinds of damage. And the doctors weren't even sure he was going to live. So we set up a healing vigil for him, where all of the people as part of this master class started intending for Luke on three separate occasions, while his stepfather gave us a running commentary of exactly what was going on. And it was amazing. At the times that we were sending intention, there were big shifts in Luke. And the bottom line is he got out of the hospital in record time. Now, and he was healed. Maybe that was good doctoring. Maybe that was us. But the real interesting point is what happened to Andy. As soon as Andy stopped intending, stopped intending for herself and started intending for Luke, she gets a call out of the blue offering her a dream job. Out of the blue. So, and that happened over and over and over again to the point where it really began to seem that, as she put it, it's kind of the metaphysical equivalent of a watched pot not boiling. When people get off of themselves, their lives can start working. Mm-hmm. This is so remarkable. I, I come from a yoga background and you know, they say the biggest obstacle to to our happiness is this focus on ego or I, or attitude of always thinking about ourselves. Absolutely, and you know, we see we've seen this over and over again with the power of eight. I think that's one of its powers is the idea that you are focusing on someone else in this collective. You know, I still had many, many ideas questions about why is this working what is the um what's the mechanism here who thought of this before me and i found a little interesting something about who thought of this before me um i was looking as i say into um religion ancient religious practice and of course lots of different religions have had prayer groups but i couldn't find anywhere and i even talked to some religious experts um any instance of these kind of rebound effects until I found this amazing sermon that had been written by a uh, Protestant reverend uh, in the early part of the 20th century. And it was all about the fact that the Bible had had a mistranslation. Um, it was He was referring to the Acts where this is where the apostles are setting up the church and they're really carrying out Christ's instructions and Christ is has since been crucified etc and what they what they say in there is that Jesus always told them to pray you know in in the King James version of the translation it says with one accord which is as it turns out a very anemic way of describing what was actually written in the Hellenic Greek which is the Bible was originally written in the Hellenic Greek. And there, the word to describe how to pray is homothumadon. Now, that is a musical term that means passionately and with one voice. 
And think of a Beethoven symphony where you've got individual instruments coming together for this amazing collective sound. Well, it was the same thing. He was describing that is passionately and with one voice. And also, it's, it's talked about about 15 times in the Bible. And every time they describe it as um, a situation where if you do this, I mean, Jesus tells the apostles, if you pray in this manner, you will heal, you will be healed. And I was fascinated by that. Um, it was some sort of, you know, now maybe it was an ancient practice from the Essenes who supposedly taught Christ, but in some capacity, that kind of small circle, in this case, the power of 12, seemed to be transformational. Um, because the Bible does describe them going out and doing the healing themselves. So I was fascinated by that. The other thing, though, that I, I was brought back to was mainstream science, wanting to see what's going on in these groups. You know, I, I saw it over and over again. I did it with that year-long test with the 250 people. But I wanted to know what was going on in the brains of my participants. How come this was an altered state? And so I was very lucky. I had spoken at Life University in 2015, and they were fascinated by the power of eight, and they invited me to do a series of studies, and they put their neuroscience and psychology departments at my disposal. So we finished one already, and the first was just a study of the uh, brainwaves of senders during power of eight groups. So what we did was we just got some volunteers among the student body. We did ran this seven times. And each time, my neuroscientist partner would put a EEG cap measuring brainwaves on one of the participants and, this, and one of the senders. Now, these were people who never, most of them had never even meditated before. And they certainly had never done a power of eight group. Um, but what we found was almost immediately a complete quieting of the parts of the brain that distinguish self from not self. So those parts of the brain called the parietal lobes and many other ones like that are also have to do with separation. Parietal lobes kind of help us navigate through space. They tell us, this is me, that's not me. And other parts of the brain also create separation. So all of those parts of the brain were dialed way down. The other interesting piece was the frontal lobes. The, some of the right frontal lobes involved with worry, doubt, negativity also turned way down. So these were the brainwave signatures of people in a state of ecstatic oneness, very almost identical to brainwave signatures measured by the University of Pennsylvania when measuring Sufi masters during chanting, or Buddhist monks during ecstatic prayer, too. Now, the fascinating bit here, of course, is that in all of those other instances, and by the way, the brainwave signatures were not like meditation, nothing like meditation, uh, also as measured by the University of Pennsylvania. Those have very different signatures. There's still much more of a sense of I than there is in our power of eight groups. But what I've found really fascinating was all of those other disciplines take years of practice or hours of priming to get into the state. 
our people, all they had was a 13-minute video from me telling them how to do it. And, um, and they were total novices. They'd never done it before. Nevertheless, within a minute or two, they were transformed. They were transported into an altered state. So there was really no uh, conc- other conclusion I could draw that, you know, you don't need sweat lodges or ayahuasca or years of, you know, of disciplined deprivation. All you need is a group. And it's a sudden fast track to the miraculous. So tell me how this has impacted your view of the world and your own personal life. Oh, oh, shockingly so. I mean, that's why I said for years I kept saying, you know, to people when I was doing this, I'd say, you know, listen, I'm, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know what this is yet. Uh, you know, I'm just the journalist. I'm the messenger. I'm, I'm learning with you. And I was frightened of it. Um, and I doubted it for a long time. You know, I am a doubting Thomas in a lot of ways. And it made me a believer because um, you can describe why this happens just so far. I can show you brainwaves. Um, science. I can talk about the science of altruism. I can look at group effects, the, you know, the effervescence of a group. I can show you this and I can show you that. That still doesn't explain the miracles that we see over and over and over again. That now that the book has come out, people are forming their own power of eight groups and experiencing this for themselves. And I think that what it has turned me into is a kind of reluctant apostle for the miraculousness of small groups. So that's certainly, you know, and a caretaker. I want to make sure to be a caretaker of this. For a long time, you know, friends of mine in this field would have me do a power of a group and they'd see amazing healings and they'd turn to me and say, great, so I want to take this in my workshop and, you know, make a lot of money from it. And I, I said, no, uh-uh, no. I need to understand this first. I don't want this bastardized. I really, you know, I want to make sure that this is used in a good way and in a careful way. So I think I've been a protective caretaker of it too. Um, But I want it out in the world in the very best way to be used for the best possible ways. And, you know, one thing we haven't really talked about is, an extraordinary effect of the big experiments. I just ran one for the Middle East and we had thousands of Arabs and thousands of Jews um, intending together for Jerusalem. This was in November and I had a special screen. It was a special technology so I could see people in in different conference rooms in different Arab countries and then in Jerusalem, the Israelis. And they could speak to each other through this technology. There were nine screens, and I could speak to them. And after this intending together, the Arabs started sending love to the Israelis. The Israelis started saying, your God is my God, back to the Arabs. It was totally historic. It's all on my YouTube channel, by the way, for anybody who wants to see it. Um, But here's what I thought. Wow, this kind of essential collective prayer together is a way of not only healing 
the target, but really healing the recipients in huge, huge ways. So, you know, that's also I've seen, you know, I've somehow been selected to do this. And it's, I guess, my job to make sure that this gets taken care of. And what's your biggest hope or aspiration with what this will contribute to for the world we live in? Well, first of all, I hope that everybody gets into a Power of Eight group. And if you can't find seven of friends to do this with, um, and it explains in the Power of Eight, my book, The Power of Eight, exactly how to do this and how to set one up and how to run one. But if you can't find seven friends, you can just come on my website, lynnmctaggart.com, and go to the forum. So it's lynnmctaggart.com forward slash forum. And just advertise that you want to set up a group in your time zone or join one that's in your time zone. There's hundreds and hundreds of them being set up now. So I want people to have the ability to do this. But I also, on a big scale, want to run more intention experiments and demonstrate to people that this kind of group and multicultural, let's call it prayer, is a way of healing the world. Mm-hmm. And that's really the ultimate, the big picture aspiration is somehow contribute to the healing of our world. Yeah. It's been so inspiring to hear, so uplifting, and such a great anecdote to the sometimes the kind of news that we take in which seems to paint a very different picture of what's possible. Well, I saw it with the Israelis. If if Israelis and Arabs can start sending love to each other, and one of the Arabs afterwards said, this is huge for me. You know, I've never actually seen a Jew before, and I'm told that they, you know, my people, the press, describe them as people who have horns coming out of their head. And here they're suddenly connecting, loving, crying with these people. That, to me, suggests that this is another fast track to peace, to healing, etc. You know, you don't need governments. You don't need war. You just need a common intention. Brilliant. Well, thank you. And I think, you know, that's this is more of a piece with where I feel we're going to start seeing major change, which is, you know, start with a group of eight and see what happens, you know, and, and together with that tiny group of eight, you can heal your life. You can heal others, maybe even heal the world. It's been such a delight, such an inspiration. And I can't wait to read the book myself. Thank you. You've been listening to In Conversation, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound, Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970.